When you're talking about ultrasounds and some of the um, visuals, it clearly indicates that there is a life there. It's not a bunch of tissues. And why should we be denying um, personhood to these babies? It's an attempt to define as person, for purposes of the law, a fertilized egg, essentially. To give fertilized eggs all the rights that a uh, you know, full-born individual would have under law. And it is an attempt to um, attack Roe versus Wade. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Craig Williams joining you from a kind of rain-drenched Southern California. My co-host Bob Ambrosi is away on business today. And I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com, and Firm Manager by LexisNexis at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Well, earlier this year, the Obama administration ruled that religious hospitals, schools, and outreach programs must provide birth control coverage for all employees. Soon after that, in February of 2012, a congressional hearing was held in response to whether the Obama administration's female contraception coverage rule threatened religious freedom. The hearing caused quite the controversy. The panel was led by five men with no women. In protest, some female members of Congress walked out. Georgetown Law student Sandra Fluck wanted to be included on the panel to talk about the consequences of denied contraceptive coverage. However, Fluck was deemed ineligible by Representative Daryl Issa from here in California. Issa's staff released this statement. As the hearing is not about reproductive rights, but instead about the administration's actions as they relate to freedom of religion and conscience, he believes that Ms. Fluck is not an appropriate witness. In response to the backlash over Fluck's exclusion from the panel, conservative commentator Rush Limbaugh took to the airwaves and referred to Sandra Fluck as a slut on his popular radio program. Sponsors of the program pulled out of the show and immediately put women's issues in the political spotlight. And since then, we've seen more controversial legislation aimed at women's issues across the states, including the Blunt Amendment, mandatory vaginal ultrasounds, Oklahoma's personhood bill, and various other bills at women's health care and their reproductive rights. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to have a very interesting show with two different vantage points. We'll take a look at the Santa Fluke controversy, current legislation aimed at women's issues, a look back at the historical fight for women's rights, and the present state of just what is going on with women's rights. Our first guest is Attorney Sherry Rendell, Director of Legislation and Public Policy for Concerned Women for America. Ms. Rendell leads CWA's legislation department in coordinating lobbying efforts on Capitol Hill and briefing congressional and administrative staff on a wide range of family issues. Ms. Rendell brings more than 10 years of experience in government relations and grassroots advocacy to CWA. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Sherry. Thanks so much, Craig. It's great to be here. And our next guest is Gretchen Borschelt. She is the Senior Counsel for Health and Reproductive Rights for the National Women's Law Center. 
Gretchen promotes access to contraception, including taking action against pharmacy refusals and for insurance coverage of contraception. She analyzes legislation, court decisions, and policy initiatives affecting women's reproductive rights and contributes to the center's judicial nominations work. Ms. Borchelt currently serves on the board of directors for Population Connection. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Gretchen. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Sherry, let's uh, turn to you first and start off the show by talking about President Obama's policy on contraceptive insurance coverage. Why is this so controversial? Well, Craig, this is our religious liberty at stake. Um, It is on a collision course with the Obama administration. The Obama administration's anti-conscience mandates forces health insurance plans to fully cover contraceptives, some abortion-inducing drugs, and sterilization, regardless of moral or religious objection to such services. And the government doesn't have the authority to compel us to abdicate our First Amendment rights to free exercise of our religion. It has way overstepped its boundary. When we are forced to deny our deeply held religious or moral convictions, it's called tyranny. And this conscience mandate represents one of the largest intrusions on individual and religious liberty in American history. The bottom line is that this issue has been wrongly framed as women's rights versus religious freedom. Women, too, seek the freedom to live in accordance with their moral and religious beliefs. Religious freedom is a right to be enjoyed by everyone, men and women. And it's just as much in the women's interest to protect this right as it is men. Gretchen? Yeah, thanks. So I want to take issue with what Sherry said. This isn't about religious liberty. The requirement from the administration that plans cover contraception exempts churches and dioceses from that requirement. Religiously affiliated institutions like a Catholic university or a Catholic hospital get to pass that responsibility on to the insurance plan uh, so they don't actually have to provide it directly to the woman. And of course, no individual who's in a plan that covers contraception has to use that coverage, just as you get to choose which insurance benefits you use and don't use depending on your health needs. So religious liberty has been respected here. This is not about religious liberty. What we're talking about is women's health and the ability of women to have access to the preventive health care that they and their families need. Um, And allowing contraceptive coverage, requiring contraceptive coverage without cost sharing, as this rule does, puts it in the same category as other preventive services that benefit women and families, like mammograms, like immunizations, like blood pressure testing. What we're talking about is an effort to ensure that women get the preventive care that they need to live healthy lives and so that their families can be healthy. Well, Sherry, let's say that the rule requires a church or a church organization to provide contraceptive services toward to its employees. How does that rule force the employees to make a choice to use the contraception? It doesn't force the employees to use the contraception. It forces all insurance plans to subsidize and to include these um, pl- these services in the plans. And what's this, what's wrong with that? Are you saying that contraception shouldn't be allowed? I'm absolutely not saying contraception shouldn't be allowed. Contraception is widely available. As President Obama said, I think he used the stat that 90% of women have access to contraception. This is not about access to contraception. This is not about women's health care. Women's health care is not under attack. 
This is about requiring an organization like Concerned Women for America, which is an evangelical Christian organization, to include this in our health plan. All of us as employees sign a statement of faith. All of us would be forced to include this contraception and the abortifacients listed, like Ella, like Plan B, in our coverage. Um, we don't meet that worthless religious exemption. Gretchen? Yeah, so first of all, I just want to point out that the the um, the drugs that she's mentioning, Plan B and L, are approved to prevent pregnancy. They're not abortifacients. They're actually um, contraception. So we're not talking about coverage of abortion. This is just about coverage of contraceptive drugs. And, you know, the thing is that the researchers and the scientists and the practitioners who studied this issue and made the recommendation for contraception to be included alongside other preventive services, they looked at the cost of birth control. It's not just about the ability to, you know, get to birth control, get it, um, you know, in in the world, it's about being able to pay for it. And what they found is that birth control can be quite expensive. It can cost an average of $600 a year, and that puts it out of reach for many women whose health plans don't cover it, especially in these tough economic times and recovery from the recession. It's just a cost that some women are having to choose between birth control and being able to put food on the table. And so just like the other preventive services that the Affordable Care Act have to be covered without cost sharing because of their importance in terms of preventing further disease or further health issues, um, that we want people to be able to access these kinds of services without having to make trade-offs because of the cost. And so, Sherry, how do we turn to, uh, how do we get religion into insurance? Well, it seems like Obama and his administration have been on the attack on religion. This isn't the first instance. Um, the Obama administration has denied uh, sex trafficking grants for um, the Catholic organizations because they oppose abortion. This administration has targeted religious liberties in this country. And I want to go back to one thing that Gretchen mentioned on the cost of birth control. Uh, most people don't realize that Title X, which is dealing directly with family planning, there are 4,500 Title X clinics across this country that um, provide birth control. So this is for poor people. Also, you have Medicaid funding for birth control. Um, you have over 8,000 community health centers that provide family planning. This is not access to health care and abortion-related drugs like Ella and Plan B, which block implantation and cause abortions, are not preventive services, unless you're talking about preventing pregnancy. Well, let's take a moment here and just pause to kind of address another issue that's come up recently, the uh, birth control hearing on Capitol Hill and the fluke controversy. Gretchen, can you give us a little bit of what happened, a background on that? Sure, sure. So in mid-February, 
after the this rule was finalized, um, the House Government Oversight Committee basically decided to hold a hearing on the rule. Um, and the controlling party is the Republican Party, and they told the minority party, the Democrats, that they could call one witness for this hearing. And the Democrats ended up proposing Sandra Fluck as their witness, um, but she was rejected by the committee chairman. Uh, he said that she lacked the expertise, it was not appropriate for the panel discussion, um, which, again, was focused on this rule about religiously affiliated institutions refusing to provide contraceptive coverage. Now, Ms. Fluck is a law student at Georgetown University. Georgetown is a Catholic school. It does not provide coverage of contraception in its student health plan. It does provide it for employees, interestingly, but not for students. Um, but Ms. Fluck was going to talk about the experience of being in an insurance plan that did not cover contraception, what it means to have to pay expenses out of pocket, especially as a student, the high cost and the burden. Um, she was going to to talk about some of her friends who are also students at Georgetown and the way they've been affected by the policy, um, including one of her friends who needed contraception for medical reasons. So her experience and her um, testimony was directly relevant to the topic at hand, which was, um, as they termed it, the conflict between religious liberty and this rule on contraceptive coverage. Um, but she was denied the ability to testify. The panel convened without her, and that led to the, I think, rightfully infamous picture of this all-male panel testifying about these issues that directly affect women's health. And there was an outcry from women um, members of the congressional committee, especially from Representative Maloney, who said pretty famously, where are the women here? Um, and there was certainly outcry from the public when they saw this picture of all of these men testifying about these these issues that, you know, directly affect women and no women on the panel. Um, and so after this panel occurred, the next week, the House Democratic Steering and Policy Committee invited Ms. Fluck to come and offer her testimony that she had been prevented from delivering. And it was in response to that testimony that Ms. Fluck offered that Rush Limbaugh really targeted her with terribly horrible, you know, misogynist language and name-calling um, and equated the use of contraception with sexual addiction and prostitution really, really um, over the line there. I don't think anybody really disagrees that uh, Rush Limbaugh's comments were inappropriate and, and largely inflammatory. But uh, Sherry, why, why only men and why no women? Actually, I want to correct that. Um, the hearing was the separation of church and state has the Obama administration trampled on freedom of religion and freedom of conscience. And that was the hearing um, by the Oversight and Government Reform Committee on February 16th, um, where that panel was that that um, Gretchen referenced, um, that was the first panel. It was deeply unfortunate that there were no women on the first panel because it did make an extremely poor visual. Um, we had been talking to our friends on the Hill and suggesting women for the panel, um, and there were actually women on the second panel. Um, that doesn't seem to get much... Uh, Mention And in fact, Gretchen didn't mention at all when she was talking about the hearing. There were two panels called, and the second panel did include women. So I think that people need to be aware that women did testify on this. And I would like to go back to um, the denial of Sandra Fluck um, as a witness. The majority committee on 
um, the Government Reform Committee, the Oversight Committee, indicated that the minority witnesses weren't submitted until well past the deadline for inviting witnesses. They did have one of their requests, Barry Lynn of the Americans United for Separate of Church and State, was invited. Um, they didn't allow Sandra Fleck, as was mentioned. Um, and then when she was denied, they decided not to have any of their witnesses appear for this hearing. Um, the committee has a process by which they determine which witnesses can testify. That's commonplace. It was nothing unusual to say that a witness didn't meet the qualifications. Um, it simply is something that they do to vet the testimony. And what was the rationale behind the uh, the lack of women attesting, testifying at the first hearing? I mean, you've basically said it was unfortunate, but why, when we're discussing women's rights, do we not listen to women? They were focused on religious leaders um, and how it would impact those religions. Um, there were... Uh, a panel. There were two panels that were going to be testifying. The first panel was all men. The second panel did include um, several women in there. So it wasn't like women were ignored. This isn't about women's health. This is about our religious liberties. And I think men are just as qualified to talk about religious liberty as women. Um, and when you're talking about the focus of this panel, the focus of the panel is on our First Amendment rights. Well, I, don't disagree, I, I don't disagree with you that, you know, religion is part of what was being discussed, but the religious effect and the religious bent on how women are treated and reproductive and, and other issues was part of that discussion. Am I wrong? Actually, the health subcommittee um, under energy and commerce had a hearing on women's health issues, and that's the appropriate committee to discuss that issue. Um, the Oversight committee jurisdiction didn't go to women's health. So when you look at what the hearing was geared for, what they did was right. It was just unfortunate for visual purposes, they did not include a woman in the first panel, which they did in the second. All right, well, let's skip over here to um, Oklahoma and the personhood bill that's being uh, proposed as uh, Senate Bill 1433 that potentially pose a challenge to Roe versus Wade. Gretchen, can you give us a little bit of an overview about that? Sure, yeah. So this is an effort, and we've seen it not just in Oklahoma, but across the country. It's an attempt to define as person, for purposes of the law, a fertilized egg, essentially, to give fertilized eggs all the rights that, uh, you know, full-born individual would have under law, and it is an attempt to um, attack Roe versus Wade. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the way these kinds of initiatives or bills are written, they're so broadly written and so vaguely written that it would not only outlaw abortion, but also some forms of birth control. So it's an attack that goes far beyond um, just trying to, um, you know, get rid of Roe versus Wade. And I should say that the, this has been realized by the public, that they have been pushing this personhood issue and pushing it and pushing it and have tried to give it to voters in various states. Um, in Colorado, they have voted twice on a personhood 
measure, and it's been voted down overwhelmingly twice in Colorado. And then just last November in Mississippi, they also uh, voted on a personhood initiative, and they also rejected it. So I think, you know, once um, voters are educated about what this measure could do and realize the kind of dangerous overreach of some measures that it would go so far to outlaw abortion, to outlaw forms of birth control, to um, prevent the use of in vitro fertilization and other methods of, of, you know, getting pregnant, that people come together. We've seen parents and doctors and nurses and faith leaders and, um, you know, specialists who work in reproductive medicine all come together to say, this is too much. This measure goes too far and overwhelmingly again and again have rejected it. Sherry, what's your perspective on the on the personhood bills? Um, Concerned Women for America has supported some personhood bills. Some personhood bills are not um, as strongly uh, worded in order to convey what what they want, and so we have not supported others. Um, it's been on a state-by-state basis, um, but when you talk about personhood and when life begins, um, Gretchen argued that we shouldn't be allowing um, personhood at conception. Well, there was a British uh, individual, and I cannot recall his name at this time, who said that even after birth, that babies shouldn't be necessarily allowed to live. So who is to define what life is? We believe that life begins at conception. And there are plenty of reasons to clearly show. I mean, when you're talking about ultrasounds and some of the um, visuals, it clearly indicates that there is a life there. It's not a bunch of tissues. And why should we be denying um, personhood to these babies? Interesting question. It's time for us to take a short break. We will have much more on legislation and women's rights when Lawyer to Lawyer returns on the Legal Talk Network right after this. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them. The ability to get their work done from anywhere, whether it's at their office, at the courthouse, at home, or even if they're on vacation, they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done. Uh, the mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. Well, with cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, uh, your BlackBerry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a, a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. 
Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. If you're like many solo and small firm attorneys, it can be challenging to manage both your practice and give your clients the attention they need. Well, now you can do it all free for 30 days with LexisNexis Firm Manager. Built from the ground up for attorneys like you, it's an easy way to get organized, master your business, and keep your clients happy. Firm Manager is secure, web-based, and mobile, so you can manage your practice anytime, anywhere, from your laptop, smartphone, iPad, or tablet. No IT hassles, no long-term commitments, and best of all, no more worries about what needs to be done. Get your free 30-day trial of LexisNexis Firm Manager today at firmmanager.com slash LTN. That's firmmanager.com slash LTN. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Our guests today are Attorney Sherry Rendell, Director of Legislation and Public Policy for Concerned Women for America, and Gretchen Borschelt, Senior Counsel for Health and Reproductive Rights for the National Women's Law Center. Well, right before the break, Gretchen, uh, Sherry posited the idea that uh, life begins at conception. What's your perspective on that? Well, I also think we should address something else Sherry said, which is the use of ultrasounds to, um, you know, try and see what is, uh, you know, what pregnancy entails. And that leads me right into another controversial area of state law, which is the attempt by state legislatures to pass laws that force women to undergo these medically unnecessary invasive ultrasounds. And we, you know, the, the measure in Virginia received a lot of attention um, they passed a law there that would have subjected women to a vaginal ultrasound before a woman could attain an abortion. Um, obviously, very invasive, medically unnecessary, um, and it basically requires doctors to perform a procedure without any regard for the circumstances of the patient or the patient's wishes about whether or not they want this procedure, um, and really, I think, represent a profound disrespect for women's decision-making and the woman knowing what she wants to do. Um, Studies have shown that looking at an ultrasound does not change women's minds. Women know what the ultrasound is going to show when they go in for a procedure. They're not stupid. They realize it's their body and they know what's happening. Um, And so I think that the public, again, like they have with the personhood initiatives, have realized that this is a step too far, that what you're talking about is trying to force women to undergo something that, again, is intrusive and medically unnecessary, and, um, and they are not putting up with it. And so in Virginia, we saw protests about this uh, this bill being passed. Um, Virginia was made a national laughing stock 
shock in the media. The governor who originally supported the bill backtracked considerably and, and asked that it be amended. So, um, you know, as with the personhood, what we're seeing is, again, this overreach and the public is realizing what's at stake and how far politicians have gone and saying, really, enough is enough. Let's respect women, not demean them. Sherry, how is it that requiring a woman to get a vaginal ultrasound prior to having an abortion is any different than requiring religious organizations to provide insurance for contraception? I I don't get the distinction other than some different issues. I mean, you're requiring people to do things they don't want. You tell me that religions don't want to have uh, contraception crammed down their throats. Gretchen's saying that women don't want to have vaginal ultrasounds crammed down their throats. What's going on here? I think that the ultrasound issue is is not an invasive one before aborting a you child. You mean an ultrasound? You mean that that long tube being put in a woman's vagina is not invasive? How is that? Well, it, it's just providing them information and giving them the facts and showing them details about the life that is inside of them so that they can make an accurate decision that is but good for them. But how is that not invasive? That's the Whether question. It's, I mean, it's a moment of, it's, it's a, a moment, moment of, of discomfort. Um, it, is, it is invasive, but how do you say an abortion procedure is not invasive? When you're talking about I'm abortion. I'm not talking about an abortion procedure being invasive because that's something that the woman is asking for. This is an issue where the legislature is telling a woman she has to have an ultrasound tube placed inside her vagina. How is that not invasive? It's no more invasive than the abortion procedure. Um, if you're looking to have an abortion and that's an invasive procedure, there's no reason that a woman shouldn't be given complete information about just how far along her child is and, and have the opportunity to view that baby before making the decision. There are you're a multitude about... of other ways to be able to do that without requiring a vaginal uh, ultrasound. I mean, I've known women that can tell me to the day how pregnant they are in, in the early stages. So can doctors. Why is this necessary? I think it's necessary because it puts in perspective for a woman what is growing inside of her, a baby. It's not just a lump of tissue. With all of the technology available, you get a much more detailed picture of what this baby is. And I think when you look at this country, this country tilts for life. Um, more and more, we are seeing the young people of America becoming more pro-life. And I think when you're talking about the dangers of abortion to women's health, and to women, I think that you need to know a lot of the facts, and, and those facts include, one, what the life is, but also the impacts on a woman's body. Abortion is not without danger. Well, Gretchen, any reaction? Well, I just would say neither is pregnancy. And it's in fact, abortion is a very safe medical procedure, safer, in fact, than pregnancy is. So I just think that line of reasoning is not medically valid. Well, we've got just a few minutes left, but one of the things that we wanted to talk about was the uh, Blunt Amendment. In a vote of 51 to 48, the, in response to the Obama administration's new birth control coverage, the rule was rejected in the, in the Senate. Uh, Sherry, what is the Blunt Amendment? The Blunt Amendment restores the status quo on conscience rights prior to the 
Obama Health Care Act, and it protects against the recent mandate on abortion-inducing drugs, contraception, and sterilization by um, the Obama administration's Department of Health and Human Services. Um, interestingly, uh, three Democrats supported the Blunt Amendment. You had Senators Joe Manchin, uh, Robert Casey, and Ben Nelson stand up to their caucus and vote to support religious liberty. And then you also had a wide range of Republicans supporting the Blunt Amendment. You had um, Senator Ayotte uh, from New Hampshire, who is pro-life, supporting the Blunt Amendment, as well as Senator uh, Susan Collins, who shows that this is not just about women's health, but whether the government can violate religious liberties. And it's really disturbing that some in the Senate have been allowed to shift the debate away from what should be the true debate. This is not a question of reproductive rights. It's a question of fundamental rights of liberty. Well, Gretchen, as we begin to wrap up the show, um, I'd like to get your reaction to the Blunt Amendment and also kind of a summary of your final thoughts about all of this and what uh, the uh, what your organization, the National Women's Law Center, is doing for women and uh, along with your contact information. Sure. Thanks. So on the Blunt Amendment, I agree with Sherry that this is not about just reproductive rights. And in fact, when I was speaking of overreach, the Blunt Amendment is a great example of that because what the bill would have done was allow employers and insurance companies to refuse coverage of any healthcare service that is now required to be covered under the new healthcare law because of some kind of undefined religious belief or moral conviction. So it would have meant contraception, but it could have gone way beyond that. So even just as an example, it could have permitted an employer to refuse to cover um, screening for type 2 diabetes in its plan because they have some kind of moral objection to what they perceive to be an unhealthy lifestyle. So that would have gone so far, so extreme. Um, and in speaking of who voted for this, I just have to mention Senator Murkowski, who voted for the Blunt Amendment and now has backtracked on that and said she was wrong. She realized how far-reaching this was and admitted that she voted the wrong way and has been speaking out very effectively on this uh, Republican attack on women and um, the way that women are feeling threatened because of these attacks on issues and topics that we thought were long settled, like using contraception. Um, and so at the National Women's Law Center, what we are doing is uh, mounting a campaign. It's called My Health is Not Up for Debate because, again, these issues should not be up for debate. They're long settled. We have Supreme Court precedent saying that we have the right to use contraceptives. We have the right to an abortion. And to see these fights again over um, birth control, over abortion, I think has really shocked and galvanized women in a whole new way. And so we are, um, you know, trying to, to take that momentum and run with it. And so what we're asking people to do is to go to our website, uh, My Health is Not Up for Debate, and to sign our petition and join our campaign um, and to speak out and let your legislators hear um, that you are fed up and enough is enough. Don't stand by and just wait to see what the next attack brings. Um, and the website is notupfordebate.org. Gretchen, how can our listeners reach out to you if they'd like to get in touch with you? Sure. They can contact the National Women's Law Center. Uh, our website is www.nwlc.org, and they can send an, e an email to info at 
nwlc.org to contact me. Thank you. Great. And thank you very much. And Sherry Rendell with Concerned Women for America, can you describe for us what uh, your organization does and uh, your final thoughts and your contact information, please? Sure. Um, First, I want to get back to Senator Murkowski. Uh, She did vote for the Blood Amendment according to her statements because she voted for religious liberty. However, it seems that she was browbeaten by pro-abortion groups who had their members contact her office to say that her vote was against women. The sad truth is that um, many of the pro-abortion groups tend to descend on anyone who opposes their agenda. One only needs to look back at uh, the Susan J. Coleman controversy for confirmation of that. This is not a question of reproductive rights. It's a question of fundamental rights of liberty. And Gretchen had mentioned that the employers could ignore coverage on any number of health things under the Blunt Amendment. The one thing that people don't realize is if they take something out, they had to put something back in. So this wasn't carte blanche to create reasons, um, moral or religious reasons, to not include coverage. Um, This simply allowed people who had convictions not to be forced to violate those convictions in their health care coverage. Concerned Women for America is the largest public policy organization for women. We have 500,000 members nationwide. We're a grassroots organization who are helping our members bring biblical uh, principles in all level of public policy um, through education, action, and prayer. And one of the things I want to leave people with is women can't be pigeonholed. Not one woman group, one woman's group speaks for all women. Concerned Women for America was founded because Mrs. LaHaye believed that Betty Friedan didn't speak for her or her friends. Um, one thing, when you talk to women across this country, they've told me their top issues of concern are the same ones that concern men, economy, jobs, and our debt. And despite the media attention on free birth control, this isn't really an issue for most women or men. Constitutional liberties are an issue. Many of the folks that we talk to are so concerned about the expanding role of bureaucracy, like um, things they've seen with the Environmental Protection Agency on the Clean Water Act, the creation of a new independent payment advisory board to reduce Medicare spending, worried about um, not defending laws like Defense Marriage Act or immigration laws. Um, Religious and moral beliefs form the bedrock of our country, and we're not afraid to hold our convictions or or positions that society say women shouldn't hold. Um, What we see is the majority of women make decisions for their families, and they will continue to stand by their religious and moral uh, convictions and make the decisions they need to make for their children and their grandchildren to put this country on the right path. Uh, I'd like to conclude with one of my favorite quotes from President Reagan when he says, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. And I think that's something that most Americans reflect on when they look at the elections. And I think come November, we will see that the focus is on all of these issues that are so crucial to the American people. It is outlandish that we are facing $4 per gallon gasoline um, 
and unemployment rates as high as they are, and the crushing national debt. These are the things that women want to speak on, as well as men. And we've been highlighting so many of these issues in our website. Our website is uh, www.cwfa.org. Great. And Sherry, how would our listeners reach out to you if they'd like to get in touch with you? Um, the best way is through the, we- the website to reach out to us. Great. And thank you very much. We very much appreciate both of you being on the show today and expressing your opinions as you have in uh, discussing this controversy. And it's time for us to wrap it up as well. And uh, Bob and I sometimes give our thoughts uh, at the end of the program. And I will give some full disclosure here that I am the son of a congregational minister raised in the church and uh, still believe. But uh, the problem, the, the reason that we had this show today is because we've seen so much of an attack on women's rights around the country, both in uh, abortions and contraception and insurance and uh, vaginal inspections and other kinds of things that just simply seem to me to be more invasive than they need to be to accommodate uh, everyone's needs. Everybody's got religious beliefs. And everybody has personal rights. And when those two conflict, it seems to me that personal rights need to take over over religious rights. Well, when it comes to religious beliefs, perhaps we should turn to Jimmy Carter, who said, So my decision to sever my ties with the Southern Baptist Convention after six decades was painful and difficult. The truth is that male religious leaders have had, and still have, an option to interpret holy teachings, either to exalt or subjugate women. They have, for their own selfish reasons, overwhelmingly chosen the latter. So if it's good enough for Jimmy Carter, it's good enough for me. But that's just one person's opinion, and uh, you've heard two other ones. So I'd like to thank our guests for being on the show today and remind our listeners that they can now get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. You can go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. And we have a brand new Android app where you can access all Legal Talk Network shows on your phone. We will shortly have an iPhone app to check it out. And you can go to LegalTalkNetwork.com to find out more information about when that will become available. We'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. We'll see you next week. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.